Undercurrents, the hidden knowledge of groundwater, a production of the University of Wisconsin Water Resources Institute. Damage Control, Part 1, Legacy. All right, wow, that was a long drive. I've made it to Colorado. Before I talk to people in Security Colorado, where I know a very unusual situation has developed with groundwater contamination, I'd heard about a construction site where they were doing a freeway interchange. Let's see if I can find it here. interchange is perhaps one of the busiest in Colorado Springs, interestingly enough. In one sense, I was impressed that they were even going to try to work on it in the middle of summer when this place would be incredibly busy. Colorado Springs gets a lot of tourist traffic and whatnot. Yeah, here we are. Let's go take a look around. We'll get an overview and I'll tell you about it. Beautiful summer day here in Colorado. You can see the front range off in the distance. The intersection of Highway 24 and I-25, it's quite a big project. I can see the workers over there. I'll have to wave at them. And they wave back, they're very nice. I was lucky enough to speak with a person who was familiar with what was going on here because you frequently hear about groundwater contamination, problems with that. Sometimes it can be dealt with. Now, what happened here on the north side of the interchange, they were clearing out some land and apparently there had formerly been a hotel and a previously unknown landfill. Now, this is something that people know how to deal with. They've been dealing with what they call leaching plumes from landfills. It's a challenge, but it's been around for a while. Hang on there, Dr. Chris, on location. This is Dr. Chris back in the studio, and we need to fill in a little gap in the story for our listeners. Now, you'll remember way back in episode two where I told you about hydraulic conductivity and that by artful use of Darcy's Law, we can accurately determine storage and flow of groundwater. Yeah, well, it turns out that in the 20th century, particularly after World War II, those hidden gems of groundwater knowledge became critical for public safety. Dramatic increases in the nation's economic production and consumption led to equally dramatic rises in our volume of waste. This problem was intensified because along with increased sewage, there were entirely new and more toxic types of waste. Chemicals and compounds from an extraordinary variety of industrial, military, and commercial processes meant that the previous methods of open burning and unregulated dumping in open landfills with nominal sanitary disposal treatment were no longer adequate for keeping our air and water clean. 
Keep in mind that one common sanitary disposal practice widely in use into the 1950s entailed spreading whatever trash had come in that day across a landfill and then letting pigs loose on it to feed until the next morning. By the 1970s, environmental standards for trash disposal had been developed by the U.S. Public Health Service. Open burning was banned and landfills were required to compact and cover waste and to protect surrounding surface and groundwater. However, authority to enforce these standards was never given until, as so often happens in human affairs, crisis struck. Residents of Love Canal in Niagara Falls reached the simmering point at a town meeting, focusing on the poisoning of their environment. Can you tell me when I'm not going to lose any more children because one is already dead? Please tell me those things. That's what I want to know. For over 40 years, Hooker Chemical Corporation dumped over 80 toxic substances at Love Canal, and the poisons are now seeping into the homes built over the deposit site. Well, we have got abnormalities in our chromosomes, and uh, we've known it all along that on our street alone there has been already eight cases of cancer on a 15-house street. As serious illnesses rise, panic sets in, and home values nosedive. The community has raised its voice for years, but government fails to respond until now. The aftermath of the Love Canal debacle did have one positive result, better regulations to protect groundwater. In 1980, Congress passed the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, referred to as CERCLA, but commonly known as Superfund legislation, that attempts to deal with large and costly environmental cleanup situations. This was followed by the Hazardous and Solid Waste Amendments in 1984, which finally gave the EPA full authority and power to enforce those regulations. Our modern landfills are now required to be professionally engineered and inspected, and have thick layers of non-permeable clay and heavy-duty polyethylene lining. They also need to provide adequate drainage for leachate, the fluids that are generated from precipitation and or the moisture in the waste as it decomposes to be collected in sumps. If you think of leachate using the slang term popular in the waste management industry, garbage juice, you won't be able to forget it, even if you wanted to. Sorry. But it's when people run into pollution from previous generations, so-called legacy scenarios, of which Love Canal was an extreme example, that things get challenging. The movement of a contaminant through a natural system is known as contaminant transport, and there are many processes that can spread a contaminant through a groundwater system. The factors that affect the hydraulic conductivity can vary widely over short distances beneath the surface, though in general the dispersion rate is very slow. Still, with groundwater, what goes down must come up. And this is why I wanted to speak with Mike Ratto, who's a risk manager at Kramer North America, the contractor that was partnering with the Colorado Department of Transportation to expand and improve the I-25 Highway 24 interchange. I was curious about Mike's background and about what they had to do when they ran into this legacy problem. 
Mike, what's your position at Kramer? I'm a risk and procurement manager, and I'm responsible for procuring all the subcontractors that we may use on a particular job site and ensuring that our contracts are executed correctly. You've had a lot of experience dealing with groundwater. Didn't you used to work with that previously? Correct. I was a underground utility contractor for the last 25 years, and we would encounter groundwater all the time. So what's the challenge with groundwater from the construction and development angle? What did you get from those experiences? Do you like groundwater? No, it's actually our enemy, so. (laughs) (laughs) But we do have to deal with it. We go in based upon borings that we have and we can usually see where the groundwater table is and we have to assess what kind of conditions we're gonna be up against. And then we can put together a game plan of what type of dewatering methods we're gonna use. Dewatering is, uh, explain. Dewatering is just the removal of water from the ground. When we have to go into place a utility, we need dry bearing ground conditions so we need to remove the water from the trench to make sure we can put a utility in so the dewatering itself is just the removal but in certain situations where we run up against contaminants then we have to take other precautions Maybe we can talk about this one area. I'm not 100% sure on the contaminants that we've run up against. According to the Colorado Springs West Side Pioneer, the contamination was due to seepage from a long-forgotten landfill that predates the hotel, demolished shortly before the interchange project, which had been built on the site in the 1960s. From our informed perspective, I think we can confidently identify the contaminant in question as garbage juice. Presumably some swine had a chance to sanitize the landfill before it was buried. What we did to deal with the situation, we had to go out and secure a subcontractor that came in to handle all the dewatering process. What did they do to dewater and get these contaminants out? As they were dewatering the ground to put the utilities in, they had to run the water through a series of tanks with piping, etc. Water went through a series of baffles and scrubbed the water to remove the contaminants and sediment from it. They would drill in deep wells and start the process and dewater ahead of time and any water that was encountered while they were doing the actual construction, they would sump that. Why do people do that? It sounds like a good thing, a smart thing, but why are you doing that? You guys are in business, right? Well, it's essentially an environmental impact. We take contaminated groundwater out and start dispersing it in an open stream or open waterway. It's going to spread any contaminants that may exist. So we have to take those precautions, not only by law, but also by the specifications of the project as well. And it's in everybody's best interest to make sure that we handle that accordingly. You sleep better at night knowing that you haven't contaminated anybody's stream, I have to imagine. Especially as the risk manager for Kramer, we want to stay out of any potential lawsuits, so yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. How large was this stretch of land we're talking about? Uh, We're probably looking at a range of about 10 city blocks. There was an existing industrial area that was there, old buildings that the transportation, the state acquired, CDOT, and as part of the widening program, they had to remove those buildings to add the additional lane, and then we wound up putting in utilities so we could get the new roadway in, and that's when we encountered the groundwater. As I walked the site, recording the sounds of the workers laying the 200-foot stretches of utility pipes that Mike was describing, I noticed that they seemed to appreciate the attention and even appeared to be showing off for me. One of them came up to say hello. What's your name? I'm Andy. Do you live near here? 
What's your job? Pipe fitter. How long have you been doing it? Four years. Do you like it? I love it. It's quite possible some of those properties couldn't have been rehabilitated without significant cost. And even just putting in a freeway lane and cleaning up the groundwater to put in some utilities, that probably had a pretty hefty price tag, didn't it? Yeah. Some of those Superfund sites, the cost can run to tens of millions of dollars just for a small portion of land. Correct. We're not actually remediating the site. We're just addressing the contaminants in the water that we have to remove. So there's additional costs that our subcontractor installing the utilities would have incurred, but the actual specialty contractor that we had to bring in was in the order of magnitude of around a million dollars to handle the effluent. Again, according to the pioneer, this unexpected addition to the project added an extra $800,000 to the $113 million estimated price tag for the interchange improvements and CDOT absorbed the cost. Ultimately, the state's taxpayers will be picking up the tab for the groundwater cleanup. That's a strong argument for keeping your groundwater clean, because if you just want to clean it up a little, it can be done, but it's expensive. Probably a better move is to try to keep the water clean in the first place. Is that what you guys try to do these days? When else do you deal with that within the context of your job? That's always priority number one, is to make sure that we're protecting the environment. Our big issue is dealing with sins of the past, where we encounter old landfills, trash, groundwater contaminants, and then we're tasked to have to handle that situation for our owner or the client that we're working for. You guys take that responsibility very seriously, I have to imagine. Yes, well, we have to. We are confined by many laws and we have an obligation to take care of it for the general safety of the public. See, not all corporations are bad kids. <laughs> okay, Mike, groundwater affects everyone and it affects everyone's business. So I'm really glad I got the opportunity to talk to you. Great, thanks, it's been a pleasure. Okay, thank you, and thanks, Kramer in North America. Hi. Hi. Are you testing? No, I'm getting background location audio for um, a story about how you cleaned up the groundwater oh. in the north section. I thought you were testing it here. Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. I'm not doing anything mean. Okay. hear that? Okay, that sound means I need to get on the road, go down to security on the double. So let's plan on meeting up in the next episode. We'll learn about a different and more modern type of groundwater contamination issue and discover how citizens and resource managers have responded to it. I think you'll find it interesting. I gotta go. Daylight's burning. We'll talk again soon. This has been a production of the... I actually work for the University of Wisconsin Water Resources Institute. Can I pay you to do it? It's nice work if you can get it. I won't wait. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>